Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Hello, spooky nerds. Aaron Sagers here, and welcome to Small Talk, a mini episode of the Talking Strange Paranormal Pop Culture Show. Normally, I use these smaller episodes to read listener stories or share my own anecdotes, but we're doing something a little bit different today. Hopefully, you checked out our main episode this week where we have interviews with the stars of Evil Dead Rise, Alyssa Sutherland and Lily Sullivan, as well as writer-director Lee Cronin. Now, look, I'm really in love with this movie right now it's opening april 21st and evil dead rise is such a pitch perfect horror flick that fits beautifully in the evil dead franchise while remaining fresh adding a lot to the franchise canon and of course just being so damn bloody and causing the audience to be squeamish due to glorious gore and gross out gags It is a blast. I really implore you to see it in theaters surrounded by an audience. Now, those interviews on the main episode, they occurred in early February. But today, I have a bonus chat with Lee Cronin. We had this chat in the days leading up to the film's opening on April 21st. And in this chat, we kind of expand more on what we talked about before. We discuss how he's feeling about the film's reaction leading up to that opening day. We also chat about Irish folk horror. Uh, We touched on that before, but he gives us more specifics about um, a project he's working on and what scares him. And we just talk about the whole process of marketing a horror movie and so on. So I, I think that this is a worthwhile addition, addendum to the main episode. So here's more from Evil Dead Rise director Lee Cronin. And here we are, Lee Cronin. I it's it's kind of great because having seen Evil Dead Rise months ago, I think it was February, maybe even early February. You saw that early? Okay, wow. Yeah, and not being able to talk about it. And then seeing this rollout, this kind of wave of of chit chat, word of mouth, and everything start to build, it's incredible. And I've been telling people, sort of, I'm not allowed to talk about it, but you got to freaking see Evil Dead Rise. Now here we are. We're just out. Uh, how are you feeling about everything? It, it does seem like the vibe, the the kind of the the shift has been uh, very positive. Well, first, first of all, I'm really happy for your excitement uh, and thank you for spreading the good word of the Book of the Dead. That's appreciated <laughs> greatly. Uh, I'm, I'm, look, I'm, I'm really pleased that people are having a good time with the movie. Like, it's a scary movie. It's an intense movie. Um, it's a pretty crazy movie. But overall, I wanted it to be an entertaining movie for people. And the responses so far are that people are having a really good time you know, in theaters at the cinema, which is so important to me. I, I envisage this movie as a big screen audience interaction spectacle. And I'm just 
really, really, I don't want to say relieved, but I'm just, I'm humbled and excited, I suppose, by the fact that people are, are, are getting such a great kick out of watching it. And it is, it is a great cinema movie experience because I, I know you had initially planned it to be in theaters and then there was the chatter that it would be released on streaming mm-hmm. and then it was yeah. back to theaters. Yeah. And I do enjoy watching horror at home or, or all movies at home, but this is, it feels like one that you need to get that collective like yeah. shudder, uh, that, that groan, that uncomfortable experience when certain gags hit, you know? Yeah. I think there is something like I've seen it with audiences and feeling the ripple effect of some of those moments um i think it's something really special especially when that collective experience might be you being there with a couple of friends but then you're also sharing that with like a lot of strangers i think it's a wonderfully um old school experience that you don't always get to have at the theater anymore um so yeah it's a, to me like shoulder to shoulder is a great way to watch this movie although then again people like their nice big comfortable reclining seats right now i dare you to stay reclined during this movie though I- I think I mentioned this to you before, but when I saw it um, in February, it was at a a Warner Brothers screening room, and it was only me in the in the audience and just a cup of coffee. And I wish I had had other people there, but there was the moment with the eye where that is like my thing, like I that's the thing that gets to me, and I had no one to get all cringy with, where I'm just like, oh no, no. Like, like no, <laughs> so uh, now I look forward to seeing it again, so people can see my my visible discomfort. <laughs> so, so I, I've got I've got to ask you, having watched it, are you in terms of going to watch it again? Are you going to go when like kind of opening weekend when it's busy, busy, like try and have that shared experience? Oh yeah, I, I for certain. I'm I've got a couple friends uh, that are those horror adjacent fans where yeah. they're not hardcore, but they'll go when something feels like an event movie yeah. or when I'm forcing them to go. And a couple of them, I'm very much looking forward to seeing that reaction. Um, yeah. So I will bring them with me. You're going to have uh, to update me as to how that goes, how they survive. Th- th- let me ask you this. like When you're doing these, these junket interviews and... And it's a good thing. It's a good thing to have this kind of attention on your work. Yeah. But when you're interviewing with people, what is a sign to you that people just don't get it? No, you don't have to call out anyone specifically, but when you get that certain question or you get that, just that kind of um, intonation from someone, a sign that they just don't get what Evil Dead is and what you're trying to do. I think this is kind of like, this sounds like a politician's answer, but I'll go for it. I, I did a large junket yesterday where I think I had about 60 in, short interviews. Um, and for the most part, everybody was kind of overwhelmingly blown away by the experience. There's those that are shaken, um, you know, you know, by it. And, but there's also people that said they don't typically go for horror, but they loved the cinematic spectacle of it. So I'm okay if somebody's not a horror fan, but they can go in and kind of ride the wave of what this movie actually is and i really do hope this film brings in some crossover fans you know that kind of way like as in i think people like those those friends of yours that maybe haven't quite seen a movie like this in a theatrical setting i'm I'm really hopeful that we can we can pull in more than the fans like the way i kind of saw this was that it's a movie that fans can love and revel in but also can take the hand of the uninitiated and bring them into the darkness of the evil dead universe as well 
Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm just I'm just hopeful for that. But so far, it's been you know a really universally positive response, and you know again, I'm just I'm, I'm just I suppose relieved and humbled by the fact that that's happened because mm-hmm. it doesn't happen every day. Um, and I guess I hope what it is is that it's the entertainment factor of this movie, the experience of this movie, that makes people um, come out of the cinema looking like they've been in a wind tunnel. Mm-hmm. When you when you're experiencing those kinds of nice words and good audience reaction and and seeing that early positive result on, you know, Rotten Tomatoes, which seems like it's the bellwether for things these days. At what point or do you get comfortable going into this or do you still kind of uh, just keep your fingers crossed until after the first opening weekend? Cause this is, this is a big project for anyone, but it's yeah. also a big project. This is still early in your kind of feature film yeah, of course. Career. Yeah, I think, like, from my point of view, there's certainly, like, I think that it's it's like waves of relief, you know? Um, and it's almost like when we had the the, the world premiere at South by Southwest, um, hearing the audience response, hearing the laughter alongside the screams and the shouting and all of that stuff, that was the first little turning point for me, um, getting to experience that, because I want this movie to be something where there is a certain amount of, kind of, you know, dark levity in the film as well. So that was kind of relief point one. And then the instant reactions online were overwhelmingly positive, followed up by overwhelmingly positive reviews. But then the movie has to spread wider. More people have to watch, more people have to engage. And in the process of that at the moment, as more reviews come in and, you know, we're very close to the release of the movie right now. It's, I suppose, we're just a, a tick over a week away. Um, so from my point of view, like, I feel like I've delivered on, my promise to the people that I made this movie with, the people that trusted me, and I've delivered on what it is that I wanted to to bring to the big screen. And I could only do that because I had an amazing team of people to work with, like the cast and the crew on this movie, like were just really, really special. Um, and I hope for all of us that audiences turn up, you know, and I think horror is having a great moment. Um, so I really hope that people come out. And I really hope that word of mouth, because I think there are people that will go and watch this movie unsure of what they're going to see. Uh, and potentially will have an experience that they maybe haven't had before or for a long time in the theater. So I really hope that the film can cling on with its bloody claws and spread wider and just get, you know, get known by more people and get seen by more people. Yeah. Well, you mentioned the amazing cast and crew, and I want to talk a little bit about the cast. I've I've had the uh, fortune of speaking to both Alyssa and Lily and, so I, I was kind of curious, and it seems like they've really developed a true sisterly bond. Yeah, they do. Not just playing they, sisters, they, but it seems like off screen. Sweeter bond than where this movie leads them. Yeah. <laughs> which which of those two do you think you put through the ringer the most? Wow. Um, it, it, they both had very different experiences, if that makes sense. So like Alyssa obviously had to sit in the makeup chair every single day, but at times had a little bit less time on set. Um, you know, there's moments where she's locked out and there's certain things where we're focusing in on other elements of possession, other characters. I think it it, it was, it, it was, I don't want to sit on the fence here, um, but it was, it was kind of equal, but in, in very, very different ways. I think Lily had, Lily's, like Alyssa's physicality was, got to perform in a slightly tighter box, whereas Lily had to kind of go quite wild and bash and bang and fight and push and pull and basically fight back against the control that Alyssa was able to kind of put on screen in a lot of ways. So I think Lily probably ended up with the most bruises, if you know what I mean, the most dings and the most knocks. Whereas Alyssa probably had the greatest time sink in terms of being transformed into Ellie. 
And then for both of them, I think with Alyssa, she had to cross over into a place for an actor. It's a risky place to go and play this, you know, this kind of, you know, broad but terrifying kind of like anything goes character. And then for Lily on the other side, again, reflecting against that, her fear had to be so high all the time. And that went for all of the cast in the movie, actually, was the fact that, you know, they had to come on set and it's like, now you've got to get your heart rate right up there. Now you've got to be scared. And especially in shooting the more the in shooting the movie in, in relative seat in relative uh, sequential order um each day got harder <laughs> for everybody they had to be more terrified and more broken down and have more makeup and and try and escape harder so the actors and the crew we all kind of went on a journey together where it was reflective of the storyline was it whereas it got harder scarier and more demanding physically and mentally and actually lily mentioned to me that speaking of shooting somewhat sequentially that early in the film it's not really a spoiler to say that Alyssa uh, dies and then we have this moment of her in a bed I think we even see that in one of the trailers Uh, so her character is there and Lily sitting next to her and it was this building moment of her of of Alyssa's character reanimating yeah Lily mentioned that directing that scene or when she was performing that scene she was having a hard time kind of getting the the tonal beats getting the scare factor coming together in that you were actually tapping out the the beats to the scene about this is the scare this is the scare and it felt it felt very like I, i i hate to say like indie but it had an indie spirit to it like this is a this is a director really connecting really being heavily involved in this as opposed to a standoffish aloof director or even someone that's saying i'm going to tell you specifically how to do this performance and i just kind of i don't really know what the question is i just wanted to get your reaction on that because it was just a fascinating little note yeah it was it like look i try and have a very interactive relationship with my cast and as often as possible you know, be close to the action with my monitor and not locked away in a tent somewhere because I like to jump up and down and get involved. And I'm very precise about what I want in terms of, of especially timing and tempo with horror and the, 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 the moments of reaction and how they kind of work. But what was interesting was like on my previous movie and often on my short films, I'd play music on set A to set a mood for the scene, but also quite to time, sometimes time the tempo of camera moves to just see if I'm getting the creepy level just right in terms of how the camera proceeds forward or you know peeks around a corner or whatever and because this movie is kind of you know it's got a kind of loud clashing punk opera kind of vibe to it I didn't feel like that sort of mood music was going to work on set so early on as we started to enter the horror moments I realized that maybe there was something missing and at the same time Lily was just having a hard time because there's things happening you know behind her shoulder and when when do I need to let the tension in when do I realize what that is in this silent room and just kind of there was what had actually happened. We were shooting a scene in, in an elevator that had all these cables hanging down and the stunt supervisor had this kind of long wooden stick that he'd been using to point to cables when he needed them to be moved. And somehow it had just ended up in sitting nearby on my monitor a few days later. So I kind of picked up this stick um, and I had a, a like a metal water flask and I just started tapping this ding, 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 ding sound and would increase the power of that or or the speed of it or the tempo to then inform elements of the of Lily's performance. And Lily was the one that was particularly into this kind of idea. And then that kind of evolved into me having a variety of objects around me 
to make sound. So when people needed big reactions for a jump, I could slam this off this big plastic crate beside my monitor that would make this kind of ear cracking sound for everybody. Um, I'm sure the crew delighted in me making all this noise, but it was a really kind of interesting way of using sound to kind of conduct the timing of the scenes. And it became really valuable. Although just before the end of the shoot, because I wanted to, the joke on set was that it was known as either the attitude adjuster was written on one side. And then if you flipped it over, it was called the performance probe. Um, and someone stole it on me by the end of the shoot. They'd had enough of this sound that I'd made. But if I go back and work with that crew again, they'll be sad to hear that what I'd like to have is a tiny little mini drum kit there so I can play all the, you know, play all the sounds that I kind of need. But it was fun. It's great when an actor comes to you saying, I need something, and then you learn something new about your approach. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, there was, I'd say if you listened to the, if you went back and watched the rushes of this movie and listened to the soundtrack, like there's all of this background ding, 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 and various different shouts and bangs and wallops going on. Yeah. Do you play drums? I did when I was younger, and then I sold my drum kit to buy a camcorder so I could start trying to make special effect sequences in my back garden. Okay. Um, I would love to have a drum kit again. So, yeah, yeah. I'd maybe I need to get the rhythm back. Just put that in your contract for the next film. Um, that's in my writer, yeah. The, uh, uh, and, and actually, I, you mentioned just, like, music to set the tone. I, I do now want to see the Lee Spotify list, uh, playlist for this film, even though you weren't necessarily playing yeah. it on set i i'm sure you still have some songs working in your brain that would apply to this yeah definitely i think definitely when it comes to the creeps like this you know the score from john carpenter's the thing is one mm. that i go back to quite a lot there's a couple of really odd creepy songs as well on the tree of life soundtrack that i've often used on set before i can't remember the titles of the specific songs um but for, for setting that kind of mood, I remember years ago when I was making my first short film, uh, like my first horror short, I'd done my student years and then I, I hadn't actually made any horror in film school. I'd made comedy um, and I was making my first horror short film called Through the Night. It's about a couple in a bedroom and it had a lot of very deliberate tracking shots and things like that. And we'd cobbled together a crew of essentially, you know, whoever was available. And myself, my producer, John Kevill, had about $2,000 available to make this short. And... Um, the guy who was acting as a grip, he wasn't necessarily a grip. You know, everyone on set was just, let me help. Um, I was playing um, music for strings from The Shining really loud over mm -hmm. and over again in this small bedroom set. And he had a panic attack and had to leave, left the set and never came back. Um, so I feel like creating an on-set atmosphere is something I can I can do. Um, and uh, it's something I hope to continue to do as I make more horror movies. Yeah. the We had spoken before about where we where we find the book is in this vault below the building where the church had kind of kept some of the things that they yeah. wanted to lock away. And that's yeah. a concept that could just be explored further in its own film. So I was curious, what else is in that basement aside from our Book of the Dead? Yeah, I think there's, you know, without going too deep in it, churches often have secrets, right? I think we've even seen that in movies like The Da Vinci Code and beyond. So to me, it's like, you know, that idea that there would have been a variety of different things placed there. Some probably things that were worth money that were then removed. And then there was just what was deemed the useless objects that were left behind the paperwork and the records and the files. But what was forgotten about was the danger of this book that was buried there, or maybe it was very much intentionally left there because the danger of removing it would have been so much. But the genesis of the idea was from reading an article about in Ireland about, because, you know, really old buildings, really old banks, really old vaults and how it reached a moment in time where, I can't remember whether it was a hundred years or something where 
un, like lock boxes that hadn't been claimed would then be opened and what was inside would would belong to the state and my imaginations just started to turn on that of like the things that you could find there was probably old money weapons love letters you know historical things and it made me think about how you know the church with their own ecosystem would potentially have these places where they would hide their secrets mm -hmm. are you comfortable saying what the bruce campbell cameo is i know someone had revealed it i my suspicion is that it's in the audio um mm -hmm. but in in the chance or the I'm record tight on it till after release because i still think people are having fun maybe looking for it and we'll have fun trying to seek it out in the cinema and okay. um, so i i think I'll, I'll i'll hold fire until after release on that one okay um, well, you know, before we wrap up, I, we've spoke very briefly about it before and we don't have a lot of time left, but I, I did want to get more of a sense of if you were going to be telling Irish folk horror or just an Ireland based uh, horror movie, what story would you tell and or what stories creeped you out as a kid and and let's face it the parenthetical to this is that this is a, a big time for folk horror and then recently i mean i just saw innis maine which is the cornish folk horror and um yeah and then red caps which is like just uh bonkers uh yeah. irish folk so what would be the the the, the your fodder what would you e explore or what creeped you out as a kid well with there being two parts to that because i'm greedy uh, I do have a television series I've been developing for a couple of years with a writing partner of mine called Glenn Montgomery. <clears throat> and it's it's we hope it's kind of a catch all for a lot of Irish folklore together. We've created this kind of mystery built around this strange condition that people get afflicted by, which in turn connects them back to these many different pillars of folklore. But the, the apex, I suppose, monster in that story is a derivative of the Banshee and that idea of hearing screaming at night or something outside your window that's that's you know for calling death is quite a terrifying thing and it's not re i don't think it's particularly being interpreted or done you know amazingly on screen yet and that's something that i'm quite drawn to because the banshee slightly represents also that local ghost that every town has and where i grew up my my small town this little seaside village called scaries which is s-k-e-r-r-i-e-s but it sounds like scaries when i say it um and just out the road from my town, there was a place called the Ladies' Stairs, um, which was this like old kind of uh, footbridge over a railway track to a big country estate. And apparently there was like a kind of a blue lady that would hang around there and keen at the sea because her loved one died in the water. And those type of simple things would always get under my skin. And when I was younger, if we were ever at nighttime driving beneath the Ladies' Stairs, like traveling somewhere with my family in the backseat of the car, I'd know it was coming. And I'd always close my eyes and kind of hunch down for like two or three minutes till I knew it was well behind me for the fear that I might see something on the lady's stairs. I love it. That's great. Um, That's a good title for a movie, The Lady Stairs, actually. Maybe I need to go there, just dig back into my hometown. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't get I can't get enough. I mean, as someone that loves folklore and explores yeah. the paranormal and supernatural and the other part of my job, um, I, I can't get enough of it. Well, I, I hope to be able to bring you more in the future stuff to oh, dig yeah. into. Well, you know, we certainly want to see more of this world and and even just, uh, you know, seeing the photo the other day of, uh, you know, all, our our evil dead heroines together on the on the yeah, cool. bench. Very cool. Teases out that there is more to explore. 
it's, so. a, it's a it's a wide universe with many stories to be told in i guess yeah uh all right well i'm i am over time and i don't want to keep you but lee I, again i'm just i'm so happy for you i'm happy for this film i'm excited for it to be unleashed upon the world and to make people cringe in cinemas and uh just it, it's going to be a great ride for you i'm very excited Thank you so much. I appreciate your support um, and for all the kind things you have to say about the movie. And I hope our both of our shared want is that lots of people go watch it, get entertained, get freaked out. I reckon people will. some people will only be able to get halfway through their popcorn watching this movie because they'll drop the rest. So, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to audience reactions as uh, as the movie comes into the world. I'm I'm based in New York City, so New York City audiences, when it comes to horror, are amongst the best, I think. Um, and so next week we'll be. I think I'm going to see it twice. Uh, we've got a media screening, and then over the weekend, so uh, yeah. we'll get we'll get a Keep couple. Updated of- on how the audience are. Uh, listen, thank you so much, dude. Thank you, Lee. I'll. Uh, I'm sure we'll speak again in the future. Thanks so much, my friend. All the best. Bye bye. Take care. And that was Lee Cronin, director of Evil Dead Rise and the writer of the script. Go see it in theaters. Go check it out with a packed audience. You will not be disappointed. This is, I just love the reaction of an audience in a movie like this. It's because it's fun, but ooh, you're going to just have those those moments of like, ugh, gross. Like, I don't know. I love it. I love it. Uh, so let me know how you liked it. Please check it out. And remember, folks. Come join in the fun on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Aaron Sagers for movie watches and trivia, live streams, cocktail recipes, and more. You probably, you definitely will even get some stories out of my loose lips after I've had a couple of those tiki cocktails. And I want to hear your stories of the strange and the unusual. Well, we, you know, we just talked to Lee Cronin of Evil Dead Rise. So I don't know, do you have any creepy stories from living in an apartment building because the new Evil Dead Rise is set in a rundown Los Angeles apartment building rather than a cabin. So I, I, I don't know any cool, creepy stories about that, about time living in an apartment building stacked on top of one another, other people. Or what about stories of hauntings, encounters in the woods, unusual lights in the sky, Uh, Maybe an encounter with a bizarre human who made you think that they were just wearing a flesh suit and maybe were not quite human. Or maybe someone that was human but just made your skin crawl. Any near misses with danger or violence. Uh, Some instinct or strange force that guided you to safety or guided you away from a situation. That gut instinct. Please tell me about it. Send it all in to TalkingStrange at DenOfGeek.com and send in guest suggestions, ask questions about the show. You can ask me anything if you'd like. Send it all in. Talking Strange at denofgeek.com. I'm Aaron Sagers. This has been Small Talk, a mini episode of Talking Strange. And until next time, be kind, stay spooky, and keep it weird. Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. 
And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content. Yeah.